sit down. I've been in this chair all day. Have you? That's my, that's my day job. Uh, chair. Yeah, doing doing yeah. the work stuff. I'm doing the work stuff. All right. Well, welcome to Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes, a paranormal podcast where we talk about all things spooky, cryptids, aliens, motherfucking witchcraft. Murder, murder most, most fucking, fucking foul. Oh, you said you left off the mother this sometimes time. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I was trying to give you the base. <laughs> fucked it up for me, D. I'm so sorry. Just trying to create a weird harmony. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to guess and Randall today. Fuck him. <laughs> I like the base, though. Randall can go fuck himself. <laughs> Eat shit and live, asshole. <laughs> Shit. Well, cryptids, hi. cryptids, mm-hmm. alien space ocean, so ocean, ocean. No more dicks, though. That's no dumb. Dicks, dicks mm-hmm. are a thing of the past. Dicks of your, yeah. dicks of yonder your, all of the above. Oh, everybody, you're tired. Yeah, everybody's, Z's everybody's mom doesn't have to put here? on earmuffs anymore. I know. No, she's heard it all. She has every ounce of it. Yeah. So, uh, for, for the sake of uh, an explanation for new listeners, we're all celibate. Moving on. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm. Ah uh, no! For the sake of this argument, okay. we are all celibate. Okay. That's why there are no dicks. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Do we have any backhoes? Always. Always. Okay. First of these. Oh, that's right. I left mine downstairs. Oh, hey! <laughs> it's okay. You can have half of mine if you want. That's okay. Tis a Kit Kat with yes. reading, writing, I can't read. No. Uh, it looks like Japanese. And I don't have my glasses today, so. Uh-oh. Oh, good. It's all right. I mean, I can read. It's just. It doesn't tell you my, the flavor on here. My readers are on my nightstand. Well, you know what this is. Mm-hmm. Taste it and see what you think it is. I just brushed my teeth, so I'm actually, Oh, that would be gross. Yeah. It smells like chocolate. Ooh. Good? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. I like that. So it just tastes like a Kit Kat? Too? Oh. We have a confused... What do you think you taste? I don't know. I mean, it just tastes like a Kit Kat to me. Oh, okay. It is caramel flavored. Oh, okay. All right. Probably yeah. a light, light caramel taste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. <coughs> it's pretty tasty. And then? A little coconutty. Oh, on sure. On the back end. Yeah. Um, you had one. Oh, yeah. I got to pull up his name. Well, I can tell you. I, no. I got to look up what he did because I knew his face. Well, rest in peace, Michael Lerner. Michael Lerner. Uh, probably most well known. For his uh, Academy Award nominated role as Jack Lipnick in Barton Fink. Right. I think he was also in a movie called, um, I want to say it's called Anguish. I think that was him. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was a movie. Yeah, so that's a weird fucking movie. Have you seen that? No. It's It's about this dude who's an optometrist. Who, oh, it was Zelda Rubenstein. Yes, that's that plays his mom, and he goes and kills people for her. Oh, uh, a la stabbing them in the eyes. Gross. And then about halfway through the movie, the camera pulls out, and you are in a movie theater with an audience watching this movie. 
Ooh, and trippy. It, it turns into this whole other thing of a movie theater being attacked by people. That's nuts. It's very weird. It's very fun. Yeah, he's been in a lot of he's been in a stuff. Lot of stuff. Um, also, <laughs> 1997 was a weird year for Michael Lerner because he was in The Beautician and the Beast and for Richer or Poorer. And if you don't know what that movie is, it was with Tim Allen and Kirstie Alley, and they had to pretend to be Amish for some reason. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. I saw that in the theater. Why? I don't know. Uh, real quick, I just ran across a short film that he did called Wax On, Fuck Off. I, yes. <laughs> I love that title so much. It is good. But yeah, his brother is also an actor, Sam mm. Lerner, and he is on uh, The Goldbergs. Oh. With- his, yeah, he plays the the fucking dude. Yeah, he plays Erica Goldberg's father-in-law. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. Jeff, the actor that plays Jeff, is his son in real life. Oh. So he is Michael Lerner's nephew. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also an elf. Uh, oh, that's right. He was an elf. He's an elf. He's been in a lot of movies. He's a been in lot. a lot of movies. A, and so many. He was very, very good. And yes, it he sucks was. that he's dead. But um, he you was know. also in his eighties. Exactly. I believe. Um, another one that I just got before I came here. <sighs> I just went like, Ryan Murphy, you dumb son of a bitch. Uh-oh. The next season of American Horror Story uh-huh. is apparently going to star Emma Roberts. <sighs> That's not the worst part. <laughs> the worst part is it's also going to star Kimberly Kardashian. Fucking, oh my uh, God. Wait, whoa, whoa. Whoa! You heard me. Whoa, 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 but don't wait. What? That's what I said. That's what I said. That's why I said Ryan Murphy, you dumb son of a bitch. Well, that's. If there was anything to get me to stop watching that show altogether, it's that. that. Which is such a shame, considering how much of a turn that show made for the last season. Hmm. Like, goddamn. Oh, that's yeah. so disappointing. Kim Kardashian. I know. That's so weird. Let's have the most annoying actor that's ever existed combined with the most annoying person that's ever existed and put them in a show together written by a guy who doesn't know what to do with a story once he gets halfway through it. Yeah. Wow. The beginning and the end are usually great. They're and meh. The middle part is, well, compared to the middle part. That's true. Depending on the season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, buddy. God damn, dude. Wow. I'm telling you, he just puts random ideas on post-its and then throws them into a hat and just picks things. And yeah. I'm like, sometimes you need to put some of those things back. He's, it's too many things. He's the, you don't need that many things. He's the, you don't uh, need that many things. The fucking sea lion tank from South Park. <laughs> Yes. You know that ref- you know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just picking out a little ball. Yeah. It's that. It's pretty much that. God like, damn it, Ryan Murphy. God damn it. I know. Well, that's disappointing. That's it very is. disappointing. It is. But that is actually all I have. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, look at us. It's a light day. It is. It's a light day. I mean, <coughs> that's all I wrote down. Yeah. So oh, if there's more. That's not my business anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> not my business. I can think of plenty of fucking soapboxes to jump on, but I won't do that. Uh, I thought about it too, and I just don't fucking want to right now. I'm too yeah, tired. There's too much. There's it's, too many. It's too the problem. Exactly. There's, put, far there's too, many. too many things. That would be the entire show today. It's too many things. Then we all need to put we all need to put some things back. 
It's just everybody stop taking so many things. I will say, I I don't even know what the fuck y'all are talking about. So that I'm cool with that. Politically, in general, I will say real quick because I just saw it before you got here. Yeah. Um, hold on, I want to get the exact wording and the dude's name right. So, if any of y'all were paying attention, there were two. Uh, state representatives in Tennessee oh, that were Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. Yes, they were um, uh, expelled expelled from the from from the council mm-hmm. for participating in a gun rights protest. Mm-hmm. So they were like they directly had their First Amendment rights violated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nashville has voted unanimously to reinstate Justin Jones, yep. and they will be doing the same for Justin Pearson. Good. I believe in a couple days. I think so. So. And they cannot be expelled from the floor for the same, quote unquote, offense in the future. Good. Like double jeopardy. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, so, shit. Well, that's good. If anybody's curious. I mean, this, that'll be very much wrapped up and much more public when this drops. So, you know, timely, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. That said. Who goes first? You do. Oh. Okay. I I am not feeling 100%. I have a little bit of a cough, and I would like to not get these two people sick. Uh, so I am I going to leave for the remainder of the really episode. I would also really love to not get sick right huh? now. I said I would also really love to not get sick I would right love now. to not get you guys sick. So, so yeah. instead of coughing up in a tiny closed-off room, I'm going to leave, <laughs> uh, and I will see you all next week. Okay. Oh, so... Because this week is the week of, you know, there's ham holiday, mm-hmm. co-producer Lamanda's birthday party, an insanely busy work week. My intention was to take it easy on myself and do a list. Mm. And I found one. I found a list of seven serial killers that may still be active today, which sounded perfect. Mm-hmm. Except as I started reading said list, I said, well, fuck. Yeah, it happens. Why, you ask? Because there are cases on this list I've never heard of, and they are good. In fact, too fucking good to just be a blip on a list. So, because I often take on more than I can handle and work well under pressure, I'm going to cover a case from this list, as well as others from said list over the next couple weeks. So, and I did just finish this before I came. Uh, so today I give you the first, which is going to be the West Mesa Bone Collector. Oh, yes. Also called the West Mesa Murders, which is a string of homicides that took place in Albuquerque, New Mexico between 2001 and 2005. So now picture it. Albuquerque, February 2nd, 2009. A woman named Christine Ross was out walking her dog Ruka out along a dried-out wash when her pup honed in on something in the ground and started to dig. Ruka then pulled out a bone, a femur to be exact, and to Christine, it looked like a people one. Mm. So she took a picture and sent it to her sister, who was a nurse, and her sister confirmed Christine's suspicion, telling her that it was most certainly a human bone. So she immediately called the police. APD, Albuquerque Police Department, came out, poked around a bit where Ruka had found the bone, and, well, they were not prepared for what they found, which was a shallow grave with skeletal remains. 
So to kick off the investigation, authorities took some high-def aerial photos of the mesa and found not one, but a series of disturbances in the dirt. So using the data to GPS pinpoint the exact locations, that's where they started to dig. And over the next month, investigators unearthed skeleton after skeleton from a mass burial site in a 100-acre barren patch of desert on Albuquerque's far southwest mesa. The crime scene, which police then called one of the largest in American history, had teams of investigators working around the clock. They used heavy equipment to move massive piles of dirt, and they hand-sifted certain areas in search of evidence, which they did with the utmost care, knowing that any piece of evidence uncovered within the bones could potentially contain a clue that could lead them to the killer or killers. In the end... They found the remains of 11 females and one unborn child, Hmm. all buried in shallow graves. It was a pretty disturbing scene, to say the least, and the authorities believed that the victims had all been murdered by the same person, a serial killer who they dubbed the West Mesa Bone Collector. It took nearly a year for medical examiners to identify the victims, most of whom were Hispanic and all were reported missing between 2001 and 2005, and they were ranging in ages from 15 to 32. So now let's go back in time just a little bit. Back in mid-2005, APD Detective Ida Lopez started getting reports of women, all of whom had ties to drugs and sex work that had started to go missing in Albuquerque. In total, there were 17 missing women from the area that Detective Lopez all had files on, and she called them her girls. Mm. Most had gone missing between 2001 and 2006, all had drug and prostitution charges, which made them vulnerable to predators. Because of the drug addictions and lifestyles of these women, it was really difficult to track down what or where their last movements had been or when their family members had seen them last. And many were actually reported missing months after they had last been seen, making it nearly impossible for the authorities to track down their last known whereabouts. Detective Lopez had known that something was going on for years, but she'd never been able to find any concrete evidence of exactly what had happened to the 17 women on her list. At least... Not until the West Mesa gravesite was unearthed. Many of the victims of the bone collector were friends, or at least had known each other and ran in the same social circles or on the streets. It's also thought that they were that there were very well more victims out there whose bodies hadn't been found yet or were located in a different dumping site. But the ones that were found in the Mesa words are hard. And I don't have my glasses. Here we go. That's why but you the have ones to get several <laughs> pairs and carry them with you everywhere, right? It's that's why I keep telling people that those glasses websites that always pop up on like Instagram or Facebook they are legit. That's yeah, where these came keep from. Keep grabbing them because you can get your prescription lenses in those frames. And I have gotta find my prescription. They're only like with the all the add-ons and shipping and everything for like the blue light blockers and whatever. It's like sixty bucks. Mm. Okay, so, um, the victims that were found in the Mesa in order of their disappearances are Monica Candelaria, 21. Monica disappeared in May of 2003 when she 
was last seen in southwest Albuquerque. Authorities stated that she lived a high-risk lifestyle that involved drugs, gangs, prostitution, and all situations that could have put her in contact with the bone collector. According to her obituary, Candelaria had a daughter who tragically had passed away prior to her own death. She was described as a loving daughter, mother, granddaughter, niece, cousin, and friend who will be truly missed. Doreen Marquez. Doreen was last seen dropping off a child at Calvary Christian Academy in October of 03. Later, a friend said that she'd last seen her in Borellis, which is an inner city neighborhood in Albuquerque, although authorities weren't able to confirm that. When she was younger, Doreen attended West Mesa High School, where she was a cheerleader. She had two daughters that she doted on. Unfortunately, as her girls got older, Doreen, who was living with her sister, started using drugs and ended up being kicked out of the house, but was given the option to come back if she wanted to get clean. Her sister told the Albuquerque Journal, I just told her, you know, it's better if you just go. Whenever you feel like you're not going to use or you just want somewheres to come and eat, shower or whatever, my door is open. And she never came back. Mm -hmm. Doreen's remains were eventually identified to be among the 11 victims of the bone collector. Victoria Chavez, 26, was last seen in early 04. She had several arrests for drug-related incidents as well as five prostitution convictions. So her family wasn't too concerned at first when they couldn't get in contact with her because it was kind of the norm. However, after a year had gone by without any contact, Victoria's mother reported her missing in March of 05. It wouldn't be until the victims of the bone collector were unearthed that her fam- words are fucking hard today <laughs> that her family found out what had happened to her. One source said that Victoria left behind two children and her stepfather said of her murder, "To have the police come and knock on my door, I was devastated. I never thought it would end like this. I just had that hope." You guys might want to get some tissues for this one. I'm just going to say it. Oh, just, just, I'm just going to preface this. <laughs> so, uh, Veronica Romero, 27, was reported missing by her family on Valentine's Day in 2004. There isn't much in any sources about her life, but her obituary said that she had five children and a large family of people that cared about her. She was identified as being one of the victims of the bone collector. And a family member told the Albuquerque Journal, we're putting her to rest finally. But considering what's been done, and now we're finding out more of what's happened to her, it's sad. She was hurt real bad. Jamie Borella, 15, and Evelyn Salazar, 23, though some sources say 25 or 27. She looks more like 23 to me. They were cousins, and they were last seen walking toward a park at San Mateo and Gibson in Albuquerque. Neither woman was ever seen again. Evelyn enjoyed camping and other outdoor activities and was a good cook. She was described as loving, fun, and an outgoing person who loved life and loved being a mother. She did have one prostitution charge, which may have brought her in contact with the bone collector. Her cousin, 15-year-old Jamie Barella, on the other hand, didn't have any arrests at all and no link to drugs or sex work by any accounts. Um... She was a normal teenager who might have just ended up at the wrong place at the wrong time. And she was also one of the youngest victims being 15 years old. The next was Selenia Edwards, who was also only 15 years old when she went missing in May of 04. And she was the only African-American victim of the bone collector. She was also the only one who was not local. 
to New Mexico. Interesting. Selenia was classified as an endangered runaway from Lawton, Oklahoma, and had last been seen in May of 04 with three sex workers in Aurora, Colorado. According to police reports, she might have gone by the name Mimi or Chocolate while staying at the Ranger Motel. Selenia had a troubled young life and had been in custody of Oklahoma Department of Human Services since she was five years old after her mother had been sent to prison. Selenia ended up in Albuquerque, where she had been working as a prostitute, which unfortunately put her in contact with her murderer. And she ended up being buried with the other 10 women in West Mesa. She survived by her mother, her grandmother, and her seven other siblings. Virginia Cloven, 22, was last heard from by her father in June of 2004. And she was never seen or heard from again until her body was unearthed at West Mesa. Virginia grew up in Las Chavez and was described by friends and family as funny. She loved doing makeup. When she was in high school, her brother was shot and killed. And after that, Virginia and one of her brothers ran away from home a week later. Eventually, she ended up living in Albuquerque with her grandfather and then later moved in with a boyfriend. He unfortunately got into a car accident and ended up in a coma. So with nowhere to go, Virginia ended up on the streets, turned to sex work. A year later, she called her father for his birthday, and they had plans to see each other soon, but that would never happen, and she vanished sometime around June of 2004. Her father said of his daughter's death, We just couldn't believe it. We were hoping it was a mistake. In the back of our minds, we were still hoping she might be out there. When you lose a kid, it's the hardest thing in the world, I think. Cinnamon Elks, 31, was last seen around July 2004 when she was arrested and booked into the Metropolitan Detention Center. Her mother reported her missing after a birthday passed without contact, which was something that was not usual. Mm -hmm. No matter what, Cinnamon always called. Like many of the other women who were found in the West Mesa grave, Cinnamon struggled with addiction and had several prostitution charges. Her mother described her daughter as someone who fell prey to drugs. And they took over her entire life saying, drugs stole everything from us. Julie Nieto, 23, was last seen in August 2004 at her grandfather's house. She had a young son at the time, and her family became worried when she didn't come back to see him. Her mother said she was a great mother. She wouldn't let that boy go for nothing. Julie was involved in drugs around, she got involved in drugs around the age of 19. She did go to treatment, but had relapsed, and her remains were found with the others in West Mesa. Mm Michelle Valdez, 22, was last seen in September 2004 and was later reported missing in February of 05. She had gotten into drugs and would often disappear for weeks or months at a time, so her family wasn't necessarily concerned when she first went missing, but then when she didn't call her mother for her birthday, they knew something was wrong, so they then reported her missing. Valdez's father said of his daughter, Michelle was quite a gal. She would give you the shirt off your back. I think he meant her back. If you needed it, she was good-hearted, kind, and didn't deserve what she got. According to friends, she had a big heart and cared deeply about others. She was a great big sister to her younger siblings. Michelle herself had two children, a son and a daughter, and she reportedly wanted to get clean but didn't have money for a program, and her remains were eventually found in West Mesa, along with that of her unborn fetus that was estimated to have been around four months along when she was murdered. Yeah. This is going to be a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I know it. Yeah. I know the story. Yeah. So 
The bone collector buried his his victims naked, possibly to try to make identification of the bodies more difficult in case they were ever found, or to try and conceal potential forensic evidence, such as blood, fibers, or semen. The bodies of the victims also didn't show any obvious signs of trauma like gunshot wounds or stab marks. However, this does not mean that they didn't die violently because strangulation or something along those lines Mm -hmm. would not show up in the bones, but would have been obvious in and on the soft tissue of the bodies if they had been found closer to the times of their death. Now, I'm sure some of you may be shouting, hey, D, what about the hyoid bone? Well, I learned recently, as in... Today, when I finished writing this story, that the hyoid only breaks in about one-third of strangulation cases. Hmm. Did not know that. I did not know the math of that. Yeah, I didn't either. I just figured if you strangled somebody hard enough to actually make them die, that the hyoid would get broken. But apparently not. So, the APD did more aerial searches to see if they could find any more potential graves in the Albuquerque area, not just that whole mesa, spending weeks searching for other areas, uh, looking for dirt that appeared to be disturbed. However, they were unable to find any potential burial sites for the other six missing women, but they do believe that they are still out there somewhere in the New Mexico desert, and it's believed that the bone collector stopped burying his victims at that spot on the Mesa because subdivisions had started being built in that area. And when the investigators had been digging up the bodies, they noticed that although all of them were shallow, some of them had been a little bit more perfectly shaped, a little more manicured, if you will, indicating that they had been dug beforehand, Mm -hmm. which means that the killer had spent a lot of time out there in the Mesa. Um, and I'm going to pause here too. So as the subdivision started going around in that area, um, all builders were notified, Mm -hmm. look for bones, look for bones. And in 2018, I believe it was, they found some construction halted. They tested. Turns out that they were like, they were indigenous from like the year, like, 1200 they're really really old yeah really really like archaeological old but yeah so now who the fuck was the bone collector investigators interviewed many women who had been working the streets especially those with similar backgrounds to the women that were found buried in west mesa and it was their hope that they could add more information to the timelines for the women who'd gone missing in the years that the west mesa bone collector was killing so it was It was also very possible that these women might have run into the killer themselves, but had potentially been spared for whatever reason. So they just wanted to talk to all of them to say, hey, anything weird, any this, any that. The timelines that were established by talking with these women helped investigators to eliminate some suspects. But according to Detective Mark Mannery of the APD, it also made getting closer to a prime suspect more difficult because all the local big bads then were being ruled out like the the pimps, the the big dealers, like the yeah, the big bads. The ones closest mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. In 2010, a reward of $100,000 was being offered for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. And over time, a few men ended up on the police's radar, but none were ever named as full suspects. Hmm. They were Fred Reynolds, Uh, He was a pimp who knew one of the missing women and reportedly had 
photos of some of the missing sex workers, but he died in natural co- of natural causes in 2009. Yeah. In August 2010, police searched several properties in Joplin, Missouri, associated with a photographer and businessman named Ron Irwin. They confiscated tens of thousands of photos from Irwin's properties. Of what? I don't fucking know. But he was quickly cleared as a suspect. Uh, yikes. Either way. Right? Mm, don't like the Tens implication. of thousands. The implication. Not a fan. Right. In December 2010, convicted Colorado serial killer Scott Lee Kimball stated that he was being investigated for the West Mesa murders, but he denied being the bone collector. There were, however, two prime suspects. The first was a piece of shit named Joseph Blair. Blea? B-L-E-A? Blea? Blay? Blay? Blee? Would be hilarious. Uh, Who had been dubbed the mid-school rapist for his sex crimes in the 80s. Police said that he would break into the homes of girls ranging from 13 to 15 who lived near McKinley Middle School in Albuquerque and he raped them. Nope. In one case, there was a DNA sample, but the rape test kit was not retested until 2010, but it did link Blea to the rape. He was a suspect early on in the bone collector case. In fact, his home was searched a week after the bones were found. Oh. They didn't find anything concrete to tie him to the killings, but he was later convicted on rape charges in 2015. And although he was only convicted of raping four victims, he is suspected of many more rapes during the late 80s. Ugh. Now, as for potentially being the bone collector, Blaze DNA was found on the genes of a murdered sex worker in the late 80s. And in one of the graves of the women buried on the Mesa, investigators found a tree tag from an Albuquerque nursery that Blaze frequented because he was a landscaper. Oh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, Blaze's wife also told authorities that she would sometimes find jewelry or underwear in the home that did not belong to her or her daughter suggesting that he may have been bringing home trophies from the women he killed, which some of the families of the victims did report jewelry missing, or at least it wasn't on their bodies, mm-hmm. but their clothing was gone too. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is believed that Blaze's wife was the one who originally suspected and reported him of potentially being the West Mesa bone collector. Mm-hmm. Police encountered him nearly 140 times between 1990 and 2009, all in the drug-heavy areas that the bone collectors, uh, bone collectors' victims were known to frequent. They also found electrical tape and rope in his car when he was arrested in 03 for exposing himself to a woman, and he was seen by police stalking sex workers after the West Mesa murders. Don't love that. Nope. After his rape conviction in 2015, he was sentenced to 90 years. And while in prison, his cellmate reported that Blay talked about the West Mesa murders and said that he had known many of the murdered women, having paid them for sex, and that he had even hit one of them once for trying to steal his money. Oh. Right. Huh. The next prime suspect is another real piece of shit named Lorenzo Montoya. At the time of the murders, he lived in the South Valley, which is a very short distance from West Mesa. His trailer was three miles from where the bodies had been found. 
In 2004, an aerial image showed a set of tire tracks leading directly to the area, but by 2009, when the bones were discovered, a development had destroyed any and all or potential automobile evidence. In 2006, though, there were reportedly dirt trails leading from Montoya's trailer park to the burial site, and he had been arrested twice for violent attacks on sex workers, as well as threatening to kill his girlfriend and bury her in Lyme. That's too specific. So the Mesa is very, um, it's very, it's all dirt, Mm -hmm. but it's not like brown dirt. It's like that almost white clayish looking dirt, which I'm assuming is why the graves were so shallow, A, but it also would make trails. So there was a trail from his house to the site. Don't love that. And the aerial photos did show tire tracks, but they weren't able to match them because the development. Yeah. Yeah. So when some sex workers who were interviewed regarding Montoya, many spoke of his violent tendencies and that he'd made threats to kill them and bury them in Lyme. Like that was his go-to. In December 06, Lorenzo Montoya was shot and killed after killing a 19-year-old woman named Sharika Hill, whom he had hired for sex work online. Her boyfriend, Frederick Williams, followed her to the house, and he shot Montoya outside of the trailer as he was trying to dispose of Sharika's body. Williams claimed that he shot in self-defense after Montoya started shooting at him, and at the time, law enforcement said they did not believe that this was his first murder. Yeah. Then Albuquerque Police Chief Ray Schultz told media this is too brutal of a crime to be his first one. Montoya had tied Sharika up, then strangled her, and when they found her, she was bound by the ankles, knees, and wrists with duct tape and cord. And her body was found next to Montoya's SUV, partially concealed in a blanket. So her boyfriend had followed her like any good, you know, and- mm-hmm. Bodyguard. Some sources said it was her pimp, but either way, it could have been both. Yeah. But ahead. he followed, and then when he saw this bundle come out, then yeah. obviously he knew something was wrong. And yeah. So like the most wrong, right? It could have possibly been right. So both Blay and Montoya are very possible suspects, but did they do it? The fact that the killings had seemingly stopped since Montoya died and Blay was sent to prison could mean that one of them was the bone collector. Either that or the killer died, left the area, or stopped, which I find pretty unlikely. The problem is that there simply isn't enough evidence to pin the murders on either man at the time. If it was Montoya, well, he's dead, and the families will not get any closure. If it's Blay, then he's already in prison for the rest of his life, and unless he confesses or some new some new substantial evidence is found, well, then the families get no closure. Either way, it's fucked. Um, and the thing about Montoya is, even though he was killed in 06, the last body was buried in 05. Yeah. He still could have done it all. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah. Because these women were missing from 01 to 05. Mm-hmm. And... That was in, what month was that in 06 that he was shot and killed? December. Yeah. Yeah. So very easily could have been him. And like they said, that there's definitely, they think that there's more. So once those houses started going up, 
he would have switched spots. Yeah. So. Um, He's probably hoping they'd just build him right on top of where he was dumping people. And they may have already. They probably, there were probably some. I would not be surprised. Um, the only thing is all the graves were very shallow because the way the dirt is. Yeah. yeah this isn't like, you know, bury him six feet under, build a house, and no one's going to know. Yeah. They're all really shallow because there's just, without like a backhoe, you're not getting through that. Yeah. So. True. Mm-hmm. But Blaze a landscaper. Exactly. He had all the tools. That he did. So, anyway. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here we go. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God, did I really read all that already? Yeah, I guess I did. Yay, me. Okay. Um. So, yeah, like I said, either way, it's fucked. Yeah. All the women... The victims of the bone collector found up in the Mesa were laid to rest in various cemeteries around the city and state. And in June of 2020, the burial site on the Mesa became the Women's Memorial Park. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this. (laughs) Whew, son of a bitch. I I cried writing it. I've done that so many Oh, shit. Okay. Whew. All right. State Representative Patricia Royball Caballero said at the dedication, which was attended by friends and family of the victims of the bone collector, wherever life is born and wherever life passes, that ground is sacred. I want to thank you all. Oh, fuck. Give me a second. Okay. Whew. I want to thank you all for pressing and pressing to make sure we declare this land sacred for your loved ones. It doesn't matter what they did in their life. Their life is significant because it's a human life. State Senator Bill O'Neill broke down in tears as he took the podium, saying, This hurts my heart. Please know that we remember your loved ones at every session. Fuck. God damn it. (laughs) We have a moment of silence every year. You will not be forgotten, and we are going to get better as a community. There are 11 benches with the victims' names engraved on them, and each family got to choose a tree to represent their loved one. Angelica Garcia, who was in attendance, was only eight years old when her mom, Michelle Valdez, went missing, but she remembers her mom's smile and joyful personality. She said, I can't go to the cemetery. I'd rather come here. It's the last place she was. My grandfather looked for her every day. Fuck. He tried to find out what happened to her until he got sick and passed away in 2014. He would have been happy to see this park. Christine Ross and her dog Ruka, who had since moved to Flagstaff, was also in attendance. Um, And there's even a marker at the park commemorating and thanking Ruka for finding the girls. The families of the victims made a dog tag for Ruka's collar that says, West Mesa Women. Christine told the families that day, I don't know about you, but I believe in divine intervention. I believe the creator sent Ruka to find your girls and bring them home. Fuck. So now that you're all crying, (laughs) hopefully not in public, I'm going to end with just one more statement from a family member. And that would be Dan Valdez. He's the father of murder victim Michelle Valdez. And he said... God, I wish we had some answers. We all meet our maker in the end anyway. We'll get our justice. Maybe not here on earth, but
but we'll get our justice. And that is the story of the West Mesa Bone Collector. Whoo, Lord. Um, and there is currently still a $100,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. If you have information, I've got phone numbers and we will put them up when we post. Yes. Whoo, fuck. Uh, my sources are Investigation Discovery, Aaron Rasmussen, Albuquerque Journal, Nicole Perez and Robert Broman, and Elise Kaplan and Matthew Ryson. Separate articles. Wiki, All That's Interesting, Marco Magaritoff, Medium, Skylar Aries, Alibi.com, Tierna Unru Enos, KRQENews.com, Gabriel Chavez and Alexa Skonieski, and Medium, The Mystique. Ooh. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. That was a hard one. That one is rough. And it's just so, even for being... Not that long ago, Mm -hmm. the fact that there's no other physical Mm -hmm. evidence that they can find is frustrating, yes, but Mm -hmm. also very telling that, uh, and it leads me to believe that that absolutely was not when they started doing this. No. Because Um. the foresight to take literally everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if you're burying them in a very shallow grave, mm-hmm. is the work of someone that either has done it several times before uh-huh. and or did a lot of real gross research. Mm-hmm. Um, out of their two prime suspects, I think that Blaze probably just a shitty rapist. I don't know necessarily that he's a murderer. Yeah. Potentially, Sure. I just think that he's a real fucking piece of shit, pervy rapist. Yeah, and a lot of fucker. his victims were very, very young compared to. He liked, yes. N- the majority of the victims mm-hmm. of the West Mesa Bone Collector. But see, now his DNA was found on a murdered sex worker. Obviously, he wasn't convicted of that, but that could have just mean that he had been with her. Yeah. The, day, the night before, or, it, you know, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean he killed her. Montoya, on the other hand. Yeah. Um, he frequented the sex workers. Mm-hmm. He was very violent and abusive towards them. He threatened to kill them and bury them in Lyme. He did that to his own girlfriend. And clearly he has no problem murdering because... Yeah. You know. Um the the tire tracks from the mesa to his house mm-hmm. it's like could easily be explained that you know he was a landscaper he was just working Lay there. was the landscaper oh that's right uh, Montoya Two worked on like a, shit some sort of like press in my something brain. yeah he's like some warehouse press mm, guy yeah. not it really didn't matter so I didn't throw it in there but um but he also lived three miles he could just be driving by the side every day who the yeah. hell knows. We won't find out from him. Right. Unfortunately, to an extent. But the um, building, the builders that, you know, owned that property Mm -hmm. gave them that land to make the memorial park. That is very nice. Yeah. It took many, many years. Because like I said, it wasn't until 2020. Yeah. But it took that long. Um. 
funding was an mm-hmm. issue and, you know, there were a lot of things and, um, yeah, you know, that, that, that's a hard one. Yeah. That, that's a hard one by whoever it was. Obviously it was serial killer. I mean, yeah. no doubt in my mind, no. no doubt in my mind. Um, Jamie Barella, I, I the, the cousin of the, that's the one that kind of like, mm-hmm. and very well could have just been wrong place, wrong time. But her cousin had one conviction, which could have put her mm-hmm. yeah, on that person's radar. So I don't know. Still unsolved. It is still open. Yep. It is still open. There's currently only one detective on the case, but he's on it. Good. He's on it. Good. And it was uh, Detective Minrea. So, um, yeah. That that's it's kind of a bummer, guys. Sorry. Yes, but don't worry because I don't have one of those. Oh, good. Because after the last couple of weeks, I figured we all needed a little break from the bummers, at least on my end, because <laughs> you know, I said so. Yeah, fine, fair. And thankfully. Wonderful listener and Twitter friend, Stephanie, threw my name out to Rob, the host of Our Strange Skies UFOs Throughout History, Ooh. Uh, when they'd asked for guest host suggestions. Then we chatted. He'd asked if I'd be interested in discussing a very bizarre case that I'd never heard before, which, yes. So I figured since I'd be researching it anyway, might as well share this case of high strangeness with y'all. Yeah, yeah. And you can also catch me talking about it again on the 24th on Our Strange Skies. So I'll remind you when that time comes. And with all of that, mm-hmm. today I'm going to be talking about the case of the Night Visitor. Ooh. Strap in, because this is fucking weird. So fucking weird. So, Via Carlos Paz, Argentina. Ooh. A resort city and tourist destination, roughly 24 miles from Cordoba. Uh, It's known for its stunning landscape and a giant wooden cuckoo clock in the center of the city, which I just (laughs) personally am tickled by the fact that that exists. Um, And although lesser known outside of the area, for the Pretzel CE3 incident of 1968. Mm -hmm. That year, -year 39-year-old Pedro Pretzel, with the help of his 19-year-old daughter, Maria Elodia, uh, owned and operated Motel La Cuesta, which sat along Route 20 just over a little, uh, it was a little over a mile from the city center. According to an Os- or an article by Dr. Oscar A. Galindez, the motel, mm-hmm. while near the city center, was in more of a commercial area that only had a few buildings that definitely wouldn't have been open at the time this incident occurred. Uh, Dr. Galindez also points out that even the there were a couple other hotels near La Cuesta, um, they wouldn't have had anybody roaming around considering the hour and the fact that winter was about a week away, so it was cold in Argentina. At the time. Mm -hmm. So this takes place at like one o'clock in the morning. So in a kind of remote setback area, nobody's going to be wanting to try and get into a pool at 
one o'clock in the morning when it's like 40 degrees outside. No, thanks. Like when I, cause you know. That just sounds fucking horrible. Yeah. Like Celsius Fahrenheit. I had to do some, and it was like <laughs> 44 degrees the night this happened. So for Argentina, cold. Don't for here, me cold, but manageable. Right. For here. But you know, again, Argentina, different. Now I've got that song in my head. You're welcome. So on June 14th, around 1 a.m., Pedro was returning home via Route 20 after being out in a boot, was nearly back to the motel. Like it was, he could see the motel from where he was on yeah. the road. Out in a boot, as one does. Out in a boot, 1 a.m., you know, NBD. Right. Uh, when he noticed something a little weird about 50 meters from the building. Mm-hmm. According to Pedro, he'd witnessed, and this was a quote, two large red lights over the road, too far apart to be the taillights of another car. Mm-hmm. Initially, He'd assumed the lights belonged to, like, a thresher or some kind of big vehicle, machine, working vehicle. But turned out, when he turned into the parking lot towards the side of the building, he realized that, one, the lights were about 18 feet apart. And two, the road, which was roughly 21 feet across, wasn't wide enough to have accommodated a vehicle of that size without serious issues. As far as traffic would go, because um, it was almost as wide as the road. Mm. And three, the lights were much brighter and bigger, about 20 centimeters each, um, than a typical taillight. So after parking and heading into the motel via a side entrance, his unease worsened as the door was still unlocked. Something that Maria Elodia, who was known to be quite responsible for her age, uh, was typically on top of when closing up shop for the night. Mm -hmm. He called out to her with no response, but noticed the lights in the laundry room were still on and went to see if maybe she was doing something and just hadn't heard him. Well, she was back there, but the only thing she was doing was trying to calm the fuck down. Oh. Uh, When Pedro found his daughter, she was kneeling on the floor with her elbows propped up on a little sofa while holding her head in her hands. So imagine like a child... Praying for a bedtime good night time. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Only instead of prayer hands, she was holding her face. Ooh. Yeah. Incredibly concerned, Pedro asked her what had happened, and eventually the distraught teen was able to get out two short words. A man. A man. She tried to elaborate, but burst into tears. Oh, God. Thinking there was an intruder somewhere on the grounds, Pedro went to investigate every single room, including the cellar and the area surrounding the building, but everything seemed to be as it should, and he didn't find any unaccounted for strange men lurking anywhere on the property. Um, And apparently at this time, there were no other guests in the motel. Everybody had already checked out. It was just her in the building this night. Um, The one thing Pedro did notice was that the two large red lights he'd just seen a few moments ago were nowhere to be found. Oh. So he went back to Maria Elodia, and she was finally able to explain what she'd encountered. So shortly before her father arrived at the motel, Maria Elodia exchanged farewells with two of the two remaining guests. Uh They had asked her to call at a a little bit before 1 a.m. so they could check out and be gone. So she did. And, you know, exchange pleasantries as she's walking them toward the side door. And that was because that's the closest to the parking lot was the side door. Mm-hmm. So she 
would later remember closing the door, but she wasn't sure if she'd actually locked it or not. So that's the same door her dad came in and found it unlocked, which was weird. So and she's like, I actually don't remember if I locked it or not, but it doesn't matter because what happened next was going to happen whether that door was locked or not anyway. Oh, God. So after the guests were out of view, she went about her closing duties, shut off all the exterior lights and all the lights on the main floor, except for the three fluorescent bulbs that were always left on. Um, she then went back towards the kitchen and laundry room to lock the back door when she noticed some bright bluish lights coming from the dining room area. At first, she assumed that either her dad had returned and switched the lights back on, or maybe the guest that had left had wandered back into the hotel and turned the light on to get her attention. Maybe they'd forgotten something. Mm -hmm. She wasn't sure, so she walked back out to the dining room. And as soon as she hit the doorway that was between the kitchen and the bar, she saw a man standing about 20 feet away from her on the other side of the bar. Oh, Jesus. If she hadn't locked the side door, we could maybe assume, again, maybe it was uh, the guests that had just left. They'd forgotten something. Or maybe it was somebody looking for a room for the night. Unfortunately, for her sanity, oh God, that wasn't the case. And here's where it gets just so very fucking weird. Uh, to quote Dr. Galindez again, and I will be quoting him so frequently, <laughs> and there is a reason. Um, he says, Maria Elodia beholds in front of her a being slightly over two meters high, dressed in a shining light blue one-piece suit made of a material that gives the impression of having scales. Oh, God! <laughs> the garment covered the whole body from the neck downwards, including the hands and feet, and fitted the anatomy of the entity's body closely. At the, ace, at the waist, the entity wore a slender blue belt. In his left hand, he was holding a glassy-looking sphere, which irradiated a coherent beam of light. Light of a faintly blue pale color, almost white. The sphere was constantly moving forwards and backwards and lighting up the whole dining room quite independently of the fluorescent bulbs. The entity was smiling the whole time. Nope. Absolutely the fuck not. No. 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 Now let's, let's break this down real quick. This humanoid motherfucker reportedly <laughs> looked to be somewhere around the equivalent of 30 to 35 human years of age had slicked back, neatly trimmed white blonde hair, no visible eyebrows, super light, potentially unblinking eyes, with an incredibly pale white complexion and a set of teeth worthy of a toothpaste commercial. <laughs> he didn't seem to have any shoes on, but you could apparently see the outline of his toes through the skin-tight powder blue space leisure suit that he was wearing. <laughs> um, according to Maria Elodia, he looked like a ballet dancer. Okay. I, oh, I, I get that. I, right? I, feel, I, I get that. I feel conflicted because on the one hand, no. On the other hand, I am physically attracted to tall, pale men that happen to be built like Lurch. So there is that. <laughs> uh, and speaking of tall, for those of us unfamiliar with the metric system, two meters is six and a half feet tall. Right. And it was thought that he was just over that. So this midnight leotard wearing weirdo with the indrant <laughs> cold face was pushing seven feet tall. Oh, Indrid cold. I, I take it back. I think I've changed my mind and gone back to feeling absolutely the fuck not. 
Um, he was just standing there like he'd stopped mid-stride, just waving his orb, holding arm from side to side like a complete lunatic. Like it was just, described like right? like this. Like he's just waving this thing around, but slowly, which I really don't like. If it's moving too slow or too fast, no thank no, you. No thanks. I don't want either of those things no. to be a thing. No thank you. I'm good. It's No. Uh, I don't want it. Mm -mm. Apparently, the first time she saw him, Maria Elodia felt like her body was being distorted by some invisible force. Um, What exactly does that mean? Well, again, in the words of Dr. Galindez, she had the sensation that she was being misshaped. Oh, God. Drawn out lengthways and made thinner, particularly the face. I don't like that. So, essentially, it was like... If you could physically feel what you see in a funhouse mirror, and I could not pass any harder if I tried. <laughs> um, Maria Elodia uh -uh. said that she tried to yell, but wasn't able to make any noise, and that her brain felt, and this is her quote, occupado. <laughs> she did manage to raise her hands to her head, but aside from that, she couldn't seem to move. Next, she said that she heard a voice inside her head, uh, and another quote, as though there were a loudspeaker or a transistor radio fixed inside my ears. Uh, in a clear and unaccented voice, she heard the Spanish phrase, No tengas miedo, repeated over and over for nearly the rest of the encounter. What does that mean? Oh, this grinning nerd was telepathically telling her, Don't be afraid. Oh. I'm sorry, but I truly cannot help it, my friend. Too late. Uh, we passed that phase moments ago. Too late. You should have started with that. And even then, it still wouldn't have worked, because don't tell me what to do. Right? No. Uh, don't, don't. Um, she suddenly, and without any recollection of moving at all, found herself white-knuckling the countertop at the bar, which was several feet from where she'd just been standing. She then said that while the entity continued swinging the orb around, uh, her legs started to feel as if they'd fallen asleep. Like, a, they got that intense, tingly feeling. Mm -hmm. um, a sensation that would last for the rest of this encounter. Uh -uh. And are you ready for shit to get weirder? Because it does and is about to. Oh, yeah. Uh, at this point, Smiley McTight Pants slowly raised... <laughs> God damn it! You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome for that. Smiley McTight pants. Because he, he didn't stop the whole time. Gross. With the smiling. No. Which, if you're telling me not to be afraid with your mind into my brain, and you're not, you're not going to stop smiling at me, I don't like it. No. It's just a natural instinct. Because, you know, like, when you see certain animals, that they take that as a threat. <laughs> And I am I deeply relate to that. It's just evolution. I just Fair. it's the same. Like chimps, if you smile at them a certain way, that's a threat, and you might get your face ripped off. Mm -hmm. Or poop so, at Also, at the very best, that's what's going to happen <laughs> in that situation. So if I see this almost seven foot tall, mm -mm -mm. leisure suited, very white man. Grinning at me like that nonstop? No, I'm like, if I could move right now, I might be throwing hands or running. I can't. One of the one, one of the two. One of the two. One of the two. Because mm -hmm. I also don't know what that orb is. Mm -hmm. Full of light yeah, that you're you swinging that? around. So I, I might run away. Fancy shiny ball ears. I might, I might run away. 
Um, or play dead. I don't know. Is it like a bear? <laughs> Do I have to know? Like a suit of blue? You throw your poo? I don't know. I'm scared. I'm too scared. <laughs> Did a bear write these rules? I don't. Suit of blue. And there's no one around me that I can use as a human shield. I'm all by myself. <laughs> Get me away from you. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Get me away from you. So, anyway. Oh, Lord. Smiley McTight pants. Back to this <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, he slowly raised his right arm up to shoulder level with his palm facing upwards. All the while, the left Doing hand still thing, has yeah. the orb swinging from side to side. Oh, my God. It's, I just really can't tell you how much I hate this because it is... Hateful. It's off the charts. Yeah. I hate it off the charts. Aliens. Can't stand them. Scares me. Um, So he's raising his arm with his palm facing upwards, and Maria Elodia notices that he was wearing some kind of large rectangular shaped ring, almost. Sure. Across um, four of his fingers. Um, And this thing that he was wearing was described as gauntlet adjacent. Um, And then his fingertips... And this is a quote, started emitting flashing beams of light. Oh, no, thanks. Hard pass. Just no. No. Is your microphone hairy? I think so. Oh, yeah, it happens. Uh, So whenever he would raise his right arm towards her, Maria Elodia said that she'd suddenly feel completely weak and would fall backwards. However, the falling sensation was in slow motion. Oh, God. Her entire body was completely relaxed, and the only thing still on the floor when she was going backwards were her heels. Uh, According to her, and this is her quote, it was as though he himself rose into the air and remained suspended, which some article I read pointed out that was kind of like the um, Hopkinsville Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the little mm-hmm. goblins, how they would like, they got shot at and would like kind of float real weird mm-hmm. or something. I was like, Ooh, uh, nope, I don't like, I don't like it. No, thank you. Um, is is again pass? Nope, hard pass. I no, thank you, please. No, no. Um, and just before she should have hit the ground, like you know, when you're falling backwards and you're like, oh, here comes the floor. Mm-hmm. Her body was brought back up to standing position, but not for long, because as soon as she was upright, the entity raised his right arm and the slow fall process repeated itself all over again. So every time he put his arm down, she would come back up, and every time he would raise it, she would fall back. Buddy, could you stop fucking doing that? What are you doing? And if you're picturing this like a slow motion weeble wobble... Yeah. Or one of those horrifying clowns that you punch in the face. Get out of my brain, because same. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. Uh, No. Anyway. Bro, can you stop? (laughs) Enough! Uh, This time, once she was nearly horizontal, she noticed some light underneath the counter, coming from an angle where no light would or should have been coming from, Mm because there were no lights on, aside from fluorescent bulbs that wouldn't have been there and this fucking guy and his glowing orb and sparkle fingers so she's like she's like what is what the fuck why is there light here and then she quickly realized that the being's feet 
were also emitting weird lights. So he's got he's got sparkle fingers and twinkle toes. <laughs> I just really can't overstate how much I hate this. I just I don't. It's a lot, yeah. I mean, it's less. I mean, I would be absolutely terrified out of my face were it me. This was happening too, mm-hmm. but also. It's very silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's as scary as it is silly. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, cause it's like get, that weird fucking robot alien thing guy. Sam the yeah. Sam Down Clown. Yeah. yeah Again, no. hard. He was definitely more scary than anything to me. This guy, it's like one of the, like, I'm like, definitely scared of you, but also I kind of want to see what happens next. Right? Why are your toes doing that? Because in my head, you know... You know that real weird video? And I don't know what it's from. Somebody let me know. I always forget. I want to say it's from Eurovision, but I don't think that's right. It's the guy wearing, like, the sequin blue jumpsuit. And he's just like, singing like that. And it's weird. Yes. In my head, that guy. But seven feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. Could he be? Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's some Russian singer. Yes, and I, I, his sound maker. His I don't name know what was like it, on the tip of my tongue because for some reason I knew that at one point. Wow, I know that's this is what my brain is for. It's just these kinds of things, right? But it was replaced by something equally dumb mm-hmm. recently, and so I've forgotten that for now. So I'll look it up later mm-hmm. and tell you all eventually. That guy. That guy. And it is because it's still going to get weirder. Oh, good. We're not done. Oh, good. So, but just like. Just keep coming. He's got the sparkle fingers and twinkle toes, which yeah. please, for why must you have those things? No, we don't, you, no. we don't need them. No. We don't, we don't need. Mm-mm. And I, from what I was reading, they weren't like super, super bright. They just were. Sure. Like, it's like they weren't emitting, like throwing off super bright light that would have illuminated Either anything way. important. So it's like, why do you... It's like having a really shitty superpower. Yeah. Like, why Why do you... It's, it's not... They're not supposed to glow. Doesn't matter. They're just little... Like, ten little E.T. finger situations. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. just a little glow. Little, sure. Little glow worms. That's your soul glow. But please don't do it in my <laughs> presence. I don't want you to do that. Keep your weird... Glowing flanges to yourself. Yes, please. Um, and this theory she had of its twinkle toes being a thing mm-hmm. was confirmed once she was upright again and was able to get a solid view of all the light coming out of places it has no business shining from as he slowly heel-toed it in her direction. Mm. And that is exactly how he walked when he it very intentional straight lines Mm-mm. and his toes would touch his heel every time he took a step. So it's like, you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to walk along like a raised curb or something and you just like literally yeah. tightrope heel toe. Le- legit, that's how his walk was described. One line, heel toe. Just and not like a like an actual movie serial killer, mm-hmm. just slowly doing it towards her. Jesus Christ! Yeah, no. And again, smiling the whole time. Well, and how fucking long did this whole interaction take? Don't you worry, because I'm about to tell you. Jesus Christ! It's like it's forever, and it would feel like forever too. Because 
that's what happens when these horrifying encounters take place. It feels like a million years, but it's never that long. Right? Um, so he's coming towards her, and as he's walking in her direction, she shared that she heard him say something like, Klingling Krish, in a, quote-unquote, <laughs> strange melodic language that reminded her of Japanese. Oh, my God. As soon as he spoke out loud, she said that it, um, like, she felt like she'd started sweating oh, profusely, but when she touched the back of her neck, no sweat, totally dry. She just got the sensation that she was sweating. No. I hate everything that's no. happening. Um, it's terrible. She also experienced a sensation that she described as having, quote unquote, bubbles in her head, which I'm not quite sure about, but also somehow I get it. Yeah. Um. In any event, Maria Elodia was back to white knuckling the countertop as she was watching the being approach her when the light emanating from the orb suddenly went out, which simultaneously caused the voice repeating don't be afraid in her head to stop. Mm, okay. Um, the being then turned on its heel, allowing her to make out the back of its ensemble, which happened to feature a kicky little calf-length pleated skirt situation. Oh, lovely. It was like not visible from the front, yes. Um, he then changed course, walked towards the now self-opening side door from whence he presumably came, ducked down a little bit for he was taller than yeah. the doorframe, mm-hmm. um, exited the motel, and as the door closed on its own behind him, he vanished into the night. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Bye. After he was gone, she promptly made her way back to the laundry room where she dropped to her knees and proceeded to have a well-deserved freak out for a few minutes until she was interrupted by her father at 1.10 a.m. Oh. The whole ordeal, which was silent aside from the voice in her head, was thought to have lasted only four minutes. Oh. Too many. Too many minutes. It's it's four minutes too many, but four it felt like 20. <laughs> yeah, at least. Uh, at around 6 a.m. that same morning, Maria Elodia experienced the strange tingling sensation in her legs again. Oh, shit. This time it only lasted for a few seconds. Uh, she experienced it again the next night, but this time the quote-unquote intense sensation uh, came in short bursts and happened multiple times. I think Three, three times it happened. Mm-hmm. Just she'd get these weird short bursts of her legs tingling like they were super asleep. So weird. Agreed. Um. <laughs> yeah. I was like, where did I go? There it is. Uh, over the next few nights, she would wake up terrified after hearing the voice tell her, don't be afraid. But she wasn't sure if the entity itself was communicating with her or if it was just nightmares about what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Her emotional state was understandably precarious following the incident and was apparently made even worse, and I quote, as her menses set in. Oh, oh no. (laughs) I know how you hate that. Because you once told me. Fuck that word. And I and I am quoting you directly. Yeah. You said menzies, you're disgusting. <laughs> I had I had to put that part in oh, there. Oh fuck. Were we on an airplane? We were in an airport. We were Fair in Denver. Oh. Um family physician and former director of the Via Carlos Paz Municipal Hospital, Dr. Hugo Vejon, 
examined Maria Elodia after the encounter. Was this like some like PMS fever dream? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? I have horrific period situations. Never have I had a hallucination. Seven-foot Barishnikov come in in his fancy blue suit. I mean, if we're going to have period-related hallucinations, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe throw me <laughs> a sexy uh, alien. I don't know. Right? He sounds like a stretched-out David Bowie as Jareth cosplayer. Right? From With the orb? space. Which, on the one hand, yes, please. Which was clearly his communication device. On the other hand, no. No. I am conflicted still. Right? Um I take it all back again. The conflicted feeling returns. Um, but Dr. Vajon, um, according to the good doctor, who had known Maria Elodia and her three brothers for years, said she was, and this is his quote, normal, sane, and honest, and never had any mental trouble of any description, whatever. Right. Uh, Dr. Vajon's wife, who had a psychology degree, also waited on the matter, saying that she'd ruled out the possibility of a hallucination, citing the fact that Maria Elodia could recall every tiny detail of what had occurred with no changes in any subsequent retellings, and the fact that the whole thing had only lasted for a period of four minutes. So weird. Despite this, she was still having a pretty rough time after it happened, and following the exam, Dr. Vajon uh, diagnosed her with, <laughs> quote-unquote, a pronounced state of nerves, <laughs> and recommended that she take a little restorative trip somewhere away from the motel. So Pedro sent her to Salta for a few weeks, and when she returned home, she seemed to be in much better spirits. At around 9 a.m., roughly eight hours after the incident, uh, Maria Elodia and Pedro Pretzel went to the police station, which was about a quarter mile from the motel, uh, to make a report. After speaking with Maria Elodia, police believed that she was telling the truth or, at least, that she was sincere in her belief that yeah. it happened. Uh, the case file was then sent to the Argentina Air Force uh, within 24 hours of its creation after the local police station received a special request for it from the Air Force. That's weird. Uh-huh. That case file was sent to the Argentine Air Force on the 15th. This happened on the 14th. Oh. Yes, and the police sent it at their request. Sure, here you go. Take it. Which is a weird fucking flag of some unknown color, but there's something being like, hey, this is, pay attention to this, because it's weird. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying it's a red flag. Maybe a yellow flag being like, mm, proceed with caution. I don't know. Right? I don't know flags. Anyway, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> From my understanding yes. of this bit of information, the police never suspected that the event was a hoax and never investigated the matter as such. Meaning, if they thought it was just some guy playing a prank, they would have tried to find the culprit. Right. Which, given his appearance, I'd imagine wouldn't have been too terribly difficult because he's almost seven fucking feet tall and he was said to be Germanic in appearance. Right. Very, he was very, very, very pale. And if he had eyebrows, they blended in with his skin, is what was written. Ew. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not not hard to find. Not not hard to find, yeah. you would think. 
if that person existed. And not to mention, no one in town had ever seen a man matching the night visitor's description, and police stated that there were no records of anyone remotely similar having lived there. Huh. To quote Dr. Galindez yet again, These discussions, which we had with the police force personnel at Via Carlos Paz, furnished us with a total corroboration of all our own assertions around the pretzel case, namely that the hoax theory was ruled out very early in the course of drawing up the police report. Despite the fact that several neighbors and people that knew Maria Elodia attested to her honest and reliable nature, and they had in fact gone on record to say, and this is a quote from someone like a neighbor, if she says she saw the being, then it has got to be true. Despite all of that, hoax rumors persisted. That said, let's get into a couple of the uh, the theories as to what happened that night. Mm-hmm. These theories persisted so fiercely over the years uh, that Maria Elodia's health was severely impacted for at least the next 15 years. Oh, God, that's too long. According to an interviewer that tracked her down to try and discredit the case. In another article written by Alejandro Agostinelli about that article, guys, y'all, these publications no longer exist. Uh And the copies I could find online were all scanned from the originals, which are in Spanish. Uh And I did try to translate that scanned document, but I couldn't get it to work right. But goddammit, I tried. Right. Like I did. I found out how to scan a or like to translate a PDF scanned document. Jesus Christ. It just didn't work right. Got it. It came out like one letter at a time. I was oh, like, God. No. On one of them. The other one, it did translate it on the actual document, but it put, it didn't translate the words in the document. It put the English over the Spanish, and so you couldn't read anything. Like, well, this is fucking Jesus. hateful. So I tried, because this article that I'm talking about references another article written by the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, I just want some more clarity as to what you're talking about. But nobody else that has researched this case has bothered to find that first article and translate it, just the second one. Okay. Which I'm like, okay, well, I see the translation, which thank you for doing that. Great. But... There's so many things in here that he's referencing. I would like some context as to what is happening. What is going on here? (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) What is happening? Nobody knows. And it was, I don't believe the information in that other article is particularly, especially relevant. Uh But I don't know. I don't know. So... It from what I was reading of that second article that was referencing another one that I can't translate. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, and it seemed to be that that's what the author was talking about. Huh. How someone from some publication went to track her down fifteen years later to speak to her to kind of try and prove that she was lying and that this never happened. So right, that is the roundabout. Too long, didn't read version of what just happened here. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So he writes that, and this is from Alejandro, 
The cause for her imbalance lies not so much in the encounter itself, but in the disproportionate coverage given to her incredible story, and particularly the mocking treatment she receives from her neighbors. The cosmic affair pursues her wherever she goes, much like a scarlet letter on her arm. She reaffirmed the truthfulness of the experience and rejected the untruths put forth by the worst of the townspeople who have tainted her good name. So what exactly were these theories that they're talking about? Aside from it being a hoax, because we've already sort of ruled out the fact that it was a hoax. Mm -hmm. One of the main theories was that the whole thing was simply made up. By whomst? Maria Elodia, of course. Of course. According to the local rumor mill, she had a secret boyfriend uh, that came over whenever her father was away, which sounds like typical teenage behavior, but anyway... Uh, The busybodies went on to say that this mysterious boyfriend, listed as her lover, which is a phrase that gives me the ick, uh, the boyfriend had been canoodling Mm. at the hotel with Maria Elodia that night and took off just seconds before Pedro walked into the building. Not canoodling. When confronted by her father, the teen panicked and concocted the story about the night visitor on the spot in order to avoid punishment because she did just narrowly... Right escaped being caught in the act of whatever. Canoodling. Canoodling. Canoods. Right? Um, However, even the author of that article wasn't buying the theory and chalked it up to nothing more than unwarranted rumors. Right. "Mm." Another theory? Radioactivity. Okay. On June 15th, the day after the incident, a group of three male students went to the motel with an uncalibrated Geiger counter, which... Um, at the time, that one was typically used for mining and prospecting, mm-hmm. um, in order to measure the radiation levels in and around the motel. Okay. Um, and these were like college students. They were like 25, 29. Um, they did end up getting some interesting readings inside of the motel, but it doesn't seem like they were intense enough to have caused, I'm assuming, hallucinations. Like, I think that must have been why they went out there to conduct this research. Right. To be right. like, well, if it's got really high levels of radiation, maybe it was radiation madness. Right. <laughs> maybe. Uh, Dr. Galindez and his team went out to the motel a few years later and again in the summer of 1980 to recreate these tests with a uh, synth... Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to decide how it's supposed to be pronounced. Scintillometer. Sure. Uh, device, which was apparently more accurate than the device used by the gentleman in 1968. Mm-hmm. These tests found comparatively higher levels of radiation inside of the motel versus outside. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean? Well, according to Dr. Galindez... These indoor levels are much higher than the outside ones, but in our view, these persistently high counts inside the Motel La Cuesta are to be explained by the building materials used, particularly the sand and the local stone. All these building materials possess a quite high natural radioactivity because they come from areas near Villa Carlos Paz that are rich in uranium ore. Okay. From which we must conclude that what Misters uh, Scholsti, Fossa, and Palacios, the students, mm-hmm. uh, recorded, all in good faith, was the natural radioactivity of these building materials used in the motel. It follows that the matter has nothing whatever to do with the question of the humanoid entity with which we are concerned in this paper. Okay. So it's just natural levels of radiation sure. from the nothing building major. materials of the hotel. Right. Um, and of course, the final theory. Yes. 
motherfucking aliens. Motherfucking aliens! <laughs> Unlike other cases of encounters with extraterrestrial beings, neither Pedro nor Maria Elodia noted any interference with things like watches or clocks. And aside from the moment where Maria Elodia had moved from one spot to another without moving herself, time moved in a relatively normal and straightforward fashion. Uh, no missing gaps in time or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing weird happened to Pedro's van either, like in other cases of alien encounters. You know, like when you get close to whatever's about to happen, your car stops on right. the road. Right. You get back in the car and it's like six hours later. That didn't happen. Right. Uh, and his radio wasn't on that night, so he can't say if the radio had been interfered with or anything. But mm -hmm. everything seemed totally normal, relatively. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so as for the red lights that Pedro had seen as he was pulling up to the motel, he did briefly wonder if perhaps a vehicle may have pulled off the road and onto the waste site that sat between the motel and a neighbor's house. Uh, however, the ground at the time was incredibly uneven and bushes and trees were dotted around the space, making it nearly impossible for any vehicles to maneuver the area, let alone one that seemed to be so especially huge. Right. Um, so it was basically just like scrubland, mm -hmm. just like dirt and random trees and bushes right. and potholes. So you couldn't get a car through there at the time. Right. Um. He would also share that he didn't actually see what the lights were attached to, just the lights themselves and their reflection on the road. Uh, there was also no fog that night to obstruct his view of whatever the lights were or weren't attached to. As for most of the people that backed up Maria Elodia's claims, well, they may have had a good reason to side with her because her sighting wasn't the only one in the area. Oh, boy. In fact... It may not have been the only sighting that same night. Uh, their neighbor, 64-year-old Candida Alvarez Paz de Ramirez, mm. had her own odd encounter that night. At roughly 1 a.m., Mrs. Ramirez saw a vivid whiteness on a piece of wasteland lying towards the northwest from her house and adjacent to both her property and to the area where Senor Pretzel had observed the two red lights. Mm -hmm. Again, Dr. Galindez. Um, initially, she assumed that her son-in-law had forgotten to turn off the lights in the garden and figured he'd maybe stepped outside for something, uh, needed the lights to do whatever it was he was doing out there, so she just decided against going outside to turn them off, just in cases. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also fucking cold for Argentina, again. Uh, so she just went to bed and decided she'd get to the bottom of things in the morning. Well, that morning, news had already spread of the night visitor at the motel, and Mrs. Ramirez was a little weirded out. Uh, especially because she had asked her son-in-law if he'd turned on the outdoor lights around 1 a.m. and maybe forgotten to turn them off. Mm -hmm. He told her that no, he hadn't, and mentioned that they weren't on when he eventually came home. Hmm. Pedro Pretzel saw the red lights about 100 meters from the Ramirez home about five minutes after Ramirez saw the white ones in her yard. Huh. So the, the white ones were a little bit farther back behind the motel, mm -hmm. and the red ones were closer to the front of the motel. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, there were also several sightings in Argentina, both before and after the pretzel incident. So let me tell you about some of them. The first one took place on June 4th, 1968, which is 10 days before the incident at the motel. 
uh, about 450 miles away near Buenos Aires. Again, around 1 a.m., artist Benjamin Solari Paravicini was walking home when he ran into a very strange man who, according to Paravicini, was a fair-skinned man with eyes so light in color that he looked as if blind, who addressed him in an unintelligible, guttural language. Oh. I really hate that second part. Like, I hate that whole thing, but I really hate that second part. Yeah, it's not great. No. Um, Paravicini looked away, because fair, and noted that there was a strange lightless craft hovering in the sky about 50 yards away. He was overcome with what sounds like vertigo, and once he'd recovered from the severe dizzy spell, he found himself inside the ship with three other people. People. Uh, He was then questioned by one particularly handsome being, his words. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Pointing out that while said handsome guy was speaking in an uh, alien language, Mm -hmm. he was able to understand what he was saying via telepathy. Apparently, they told Paravasini that they were going to take him around the world for a little bit and would drop him off where they found him once they were finished with their intergalactic road trip. No. Oh. Which Paravasini seemed fine with. All right, uh, let's he, go. Right? He claimed that the being subsequently contacted him several times after he was returned. Hmm. Um, the next two encounters took place in Cordoba, which you'll remember is about twenty-five or 24 miles from Via Carlos Paz. Uh, on and around June 10th, 1968, mm-hmm. were these these two encounters. The first case was of a young boy who said he encountered a quote-unquote strange being whose body emitted rays of light and who spoke a strange language he did not recognize. Weird. According to Lon Strickler's site Phantoms and Monsters, this case came from a newspaper, but there was no further information on it. Hmm. Um, in the... Late evening hours. It looks like I forgot to put the other one in there. Cool for me. Uh, (laughs) uh, In the late evening hours of June 14th, 1968, this time 695 miles from Via Carlos Paz. Mm. Um, In La Armonia, Argentina, a farmer named Catolico Fernandez Mm. was about to go bedtime, good nighttime. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for him, Two very thin, very tall beings in tight, shiny green boiler suits, a.k.a. coveralls, okay, just appeared in his room. Just, hey, buddy, just all of a sudden. Um, please don't. Okay. They sat on the edge of his bed, and in a very similar move, one of them raised an arm, which caused uh, Mr. Fernandez to become incredibly dizzy. The entity lowered its arm, and then he felt fine. And then both beings vanished. That's weird. No other information was found or offered on that instance. And according to Strickler's research, there were at least five other sightings in Argentina in June of 1968. Huh. And all of them seemed to involve some kind of humanoid encounter. So whomst or what exactly was the night visitor and what did they want? Unfortunately... I can't tell you because no one else seems to know, and it doesn't look like he returned to Motel La Cuesta, which still exists, by the way, mm-hmm. or make further contact with Maria Elodia. At least, not that she's willing to share, anyway. Oh, fuck that. And that is the fucking weirdest story 
of fucking aliens, y'all. I can't. The night visitor. And the case itself is so unknown that it doesn't really have a name. It's called the Pretzel Case. Uh, The CE3 incident. CE3. Mm -hmm. The Pretzel CE3 incident. Um, but one author called him the night visitor. I'm like, well, that's the fucking coolest name I've right? ever heard. Right. I looked for podcasts. This might be the first one. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, it and sounds then, like a serial killer, but. And then the second one will again be with me. Perfect. On um, the 24th when I'm a guest on Our Strange Skies, UFOs Throughout History. Perfect. And so my sources, uh, reddit.com. Uh, user Emilios260, uh, scribed.com. The article in Spanish is the headline is La Incredible y Triste Historia de la Candida Elodia y de su Padre el de Selmado, which is the incredible and sad story of Fair Elodia and her heartless father. <laughs> <laughs> By Alejandro Agostinelli from the UFO Press, uh, the October 1983 issue. And her heartless father. Yeah, the this is the article that is the second part of the one article I couldn't find in English. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, the first article is The Pretzel Case. That's its title, the end. <laughs> and then he went with a real long one the next. It feels like a Fall Out Boy song. Right, right. (laughs) The title, like, it is too long. Uh, But that was, in this article, the second one Mm -hmm. by him, is one of two that are referenced in every source I have. Okay. So it's mostly that one and shocking, Dr. Galindez. Shocking. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, UFODigest.com, Scott Corrales. Uh, Thinkaboutitdocs.com. Think about it. Uh, IgnacioDarnod.com, The Anthropomorphic Entity at Via Carlos Paz by Dr. Oscar A. Galindez, Flying Saucer Review, uh, Volume 26, Issues 5 and 6 from January and September, October of 1981, and Volume 21, Issue 1 from June of 1981, translated from Spanish by Gordon Crichton. Yeah. Uh, inexplicata.blogspot.com Guillermo Jimenez, translated by Scott Corrales, based on an article by Daniel J. Lopez and Luis Burgos. And phantomsandmonsters.com, Lon Strickler. So yes, there are Dr. Galinda's his three-part article on the case uh, are the most extensive. And then there's the piece by um, Augustinelli. Uh-huh. Those two are the main articles of all research. And then the third one uh, by Daniel J. Lopez and Luis Burgos takes a lot of their information from those pieces. Uh-huh. And then Scott Corrales has them all on his site and has translated majority of things except for the one fucking article the one fucking fucking article it was also from the ufo press um but i cannot remember which month or year it was i'm pretty sure the same year 1983 or maybe 81 but yeah a lot of it's just one of those things not a lot of information out there and wild it was nuts 
so nuts. Because the original article, I think, by Dr. Galindas may have been from 1968 mm-hmm. and then translated in the 80s for Flying Saucer Review, mm-hmm. which is another defunct Flying magazine. Saucer Review. Yep. UFO Press and the Flying <coughs> Saucer Review. Those are the... <laughs> Those are the two places this story was originally reported on. That's hilarious. Yes. And so I found one copy. And thank you to Rob from the podcast I'm going to Mm -hmm. be on. Because Mm -hmm. he's the one that sent me the three of Dr. Galindez's articles. So I did not have to scour the web for them. Like I did trying to find the second issue of the ufo press which has been out of publication since i was two i think wow and only in spanish only in spanish wow yeah and it's fucking wild and i just the outfits i find the outfits odd yeah what are you what are you doing up there what mm. right i don't know it's it's all like a fucking gaultier show just Cover, right? Coveralls for days. Right? Just Shiny and scales and leisure suits. What the fuck? I just it's gotta be there's a there's gotta be a reason, but I do not wanna find an alien to tell me no. what it is. I mean it's probably, you know, some kind of fancy space material. Sure. It's like a flight suit for an astronaut, but more sessual. <laughs> <laughs> more flattering. More form fitting. Sessual. <laughs> More sessual. Yeah. Oh my god. Fucking weird alien shit, man. Right. Just, and he sent me a couple of other stories that were equally nuts. So I might be talking about those someday. Because why not? First, I, he sent me one, and I'm like, what the fuck is it and why? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, and then he sent me another one. I'm like, why? Does, who is that? And why does it look like Jay Leno? <laughs> So many questions. It's, it's a, uh, yeah. Uh, so many questions. But yeah, the drawings of this guy. No, thanks. I don't huh. like it. I don't. Do you have one? Um, hold, please. I'll see if I can pull one up because it's a weird case. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm good. But also, if you saw my post on the gram about the day I went and got a soft pretzel, <laughs> this is why. Because it's the pretzel case, and I it, just reading the word pretzel so many times, I needed one, and I just had to. I just happened to be running errands. I'm all about pretzels. I just happened to be running errands out by the mall, and so I was like, you know what? We're getting a fucking soft pretzel today. Fair enough. Yeah, let's see if I can find one. I mean, I know they exist because I stared at them all weekend. But when you type that in, it's like, hey, did you mean actual pretzels? I'm like, well, not in this moment, but I will never say no to a mall pretzel. Mall pretzels are the best, and Auntie, I don't know why. Auntie Anne's. God oh, damn you. God, and I just love the marinara. See, I always get the jalapeno pretzel with the hot salsa cheese. Oh, that, that'd be good, too. Spicy. Yeah. But if I'm getting, like, just a regular salty mall pretzel, the marinara. the marinara. So good. Um, so good. Here you go. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I don't. I really don't like it. Oh God, he's real kind of Frankenstein-y. Mm-hmm. I don't. What the fucking fuck? I wish I could. And his tell hands you. got weird needly things, like Fred. Like oh, I think those are supposed to be the lights 
coming from his fingers. Oh, I see. You're right. I, Got it. I thought the same uh-huh. thing at first. And then I was like, oh, wait. I think that is uh, the artistic representation <laughs> of the useless beams of light coming out of his sparkle fingers. And if you look down at the bo- the full body one, you can kind of see it for his twinkle. Yeah, tails. I see it. Yeah. But the um, apparently the one, the light went out in his weird orb. Right. Said that the light looked like it had been coming from truncated cones on the orb. So it looked like they were, it looked like it was made of glass. Okay. And then it had little nubbies all over it, basically. Yeah. Like, do you remember that? There was a weird toy yeah, from know, the early nope, 90s. I know exactly what you're talking about. That looked like a, like an undersea mine. Yep. Nope. I like know exactly. that. Yep. Or like what the sea glass you find up in yeah, the coast. No, uh-uh. Yeah, I was like, mm, "That's all." I don't want any of it. I don't think. So weird. Very weird. And that's the most detailed encounter but of that like, time, and remember- it's even not that detailed. But there were other similar ones, and right. I only listed a few, right? Because there were at least I want to say like almost ten. Of similar sightings. But do you remember Lost in Space? Yeah. So why is it that all alien sightings of that era look like they're off of fucking Lost in Space with the fitted jumpsuits? Maybe they saw that show and were like, you know what? That's a really good look that we have to adopt. Maybe. Because you know, it's a little flattering. But yeah, like it's always the fucking unitards. Just the, like I said, midnight sure. leotard. Sure. Wearing Indrid Coldface fucking bastard. Yep, yeah, no thanks. With so, his, his sparkle weird. fingers and twinkle toes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like that. I'm good. Like that guy. Mm-mm. That guy. Mm-mm. So, well, we've done done it, y'all. We did done do it. We done done it. Y'all know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe. Share, share, share. Mm -hmm. If you'd like some exclusive motherfucking content, go become a patron on our La Patron. Yes, please. And you know Randall shit, so do that too. Go to thehonesthistory.co for 10% off of your purchase for cool history stuff for kids. For kids. Before we're not allowed to have it anymore. (laughs) Do that. And then you can use promo code GNH. G is in good God, what was it? N is in no thanks. H is in, hey, buddy, why do you have light coming out of your fingers and toes? You know, just that guy for 10% off. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Uh, bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. Mm-hmm. It's all me today. I mean, it fuck is. your guy. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I still can't decide whether literally or figuratively on that one. But whoever the West Mesa bone collector is, uh-huh. is or was, uh-huh. um, fuck you. And very specifically, uh, Joseph Blea. Yeah. And fucking Lorenzo Montoya. Also, yes. Joseph, I hope you're getting everything you deserve in prison. I'm hoping you have the days you deserve in yes. prison. Every you child raping one. piece of shit. Every Montoya, one. just keep burning. Burning yep. where you're at. Yep. Fucking burn for eternity. Fuck you, you fucking fuck. I wonder if the night visitor can make a night visit to hell. 
I don't know how it God, works. I don't fucking just fuck that guy. With, with something glassy and full of truncated cones. Yeah. And, you know, fuck every piece of shit garbage human of a man that thinks that they can prey on sex workers and addicts. Just the most despicable, fucking, vile piece of shit human beings. We've covered many of them on the show, and it's just, it's that kind of mm-hmm. killer that gets me every fucking time. Yeah. Every fucking time. Your shit sucks. So, all right, well, one of us has to go turn off the button. Oh, God. Button, button, button. I'll go press the button. <laughs> 